Welcome to Unexpressed, where we express the inexpressible. My name is David White, and I'm the publisher at Whitefire. Over the years, I've had the privilege and opportunity to work with some really amazing people, very talented authors mostly, who have a unique view of the world. Our focus has been on the things that are important and challenging, viewed through the lens of storytelling. Our readers and our listeners are a part of that process. So if you're like us, and you're looking for a podcast that would challenge you, and encourage you to challenge yourself, you've come to the right place. Today I talked to Camille Eide, author of Like There's No Tomorrow, Like a Love Song, and the memoir of Johnny Devine, about why she writes what she does, how she uses her self-reflection to help her develop her stories, along with how she fills her time with good things that help her be a better writer, and her most recent novel, Wings Like a Dove. Camille, thanks for joining us. If you want to take a minute, maybe just introduce yourself, and then uh, I'd probably like to ask something like, uh, why do you write what you write? But we're going to go a long way outside of, of just the writing world and books, I hope, uh, okay. in the course of this. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm Camille Eide. Um I've been writing for a good 12 years, um, writing fiction, stories that I, that I hope uh, serve and, and honor the Lord and also entertain, because that is a novel's first purpose, of course, is to captivate and entertain um, but I hope hopefully a little a little more I think it's interesting because you know you I think you're thinking well I'm I'm a novelist because that's what you've been focused on with with your launch of Wings Like a Dove and your other books over the years but you're also a pretty prolific writer in other places and you uh you know you you're a blogger that I think uh, everyone ought to check out and go and follow what you have to say because I don't know how you come up with so many profound things uh but as i was going through your history uh, later this or later later this year earlier this year uh it seemed like you just had hundreds and hundreds of of thoughts that must have come into your head and i, I don't know how they're all so good but you know i don't well, know if you can you. so how do you come up with with those like what's your your day-to-day look like with with this and why why do you choose to put the write them down not just not in your novels which take a lot of planning but everything else right Well, it's funny because, um, you know, I was trying to think about how to answer the question, why do I write what I write? And and that question, um, I was thinking along the lines of fiction. But then I went back and kind of looked through blog posts, which I've been blogging since about 2008 or nine, I think. Um, And it's funny because my blogs are more from the heart and just the guts of, you know, what is God showing me in my life, you know, and, and how can what he's shown me be of any use to someone else, hopefully, because, I, you know, you would hate to waste a, a drop of, you know, pains and joys and, and things that you've learned, you know, and so I've, I've always just wanted to share them. But it's funny because I think my, my blogs are a lot more good, honest, maybe. I don't know if I should say this, but then, you know, my novels, I, I'd like those to be more entertaining. So, you know, you, you don't you don't just lay everything completely bare in a novel. But um, I would say probably your question was, you know, what does the day to day look like? I guess it's just, you know, uh, how can what God is doing in my life be of any use to someone else? And uh, that's yeah. probably where a lot of those come from. You know, and I think a lot. I'm very extremely introspective. And, you know, that can be a bad thing. But like I said, if God can turn it around and make it useful to someone else, then, you know. I don't think that's a bad thing if you think a lot at all. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe well, that's just it, me. But Introspectively. So it's, it's very self-focused, you know, but, you know. Well, it's very self-focused, but I, so much of it is applicable you know, that's I think that's why so many people uh, want to be novelists. It, it, for me, is it gives you a chance to find a way to say to other people and be empathetic to other people about all the things that you care about and you you really feel. So right. when you're you're blogging or you know just your your day to day life is introspective, that's just you know fertilizing the ground for right. for all the other storytelling you do. So. I guess I get the feeling of, you know, if I've gone through this and then obviously someone else has, you know, and if one other person can learn or be blessed by, you know, something I've learned, 
albeit the hard way. I have a doctorate in learning stuff the hard way. I'd like that to be of use, you know. So I guess that's what prom uh, what prompts my my blogging. You know, and usually there's usually it's a verse of scripture that I've been reading, and if I just take enough time to just chew on it, usually something that you know I've dealt with immediately, you know, comes on the heels of that. That's that's where a lot of those thoughts come from. So, so can you speak to like anything that tends to come up more often uh, than other things? I mean. For me, it seems like there are always themes and things that I'm thinking about or writing about, even if they're just making notes uh, or, you know, various uh, yeah. scripture when you're reading, it always seems to have, you always bring that back to a theme, you know, it's like you're being guided in some way. Is there something that, that yeah. comes up a lot for you or um, some um, various you things? Know, that, yeah, that's a really good question. In fact, um, back to, you know, why do I write what I write? I was thinking about that for a couple of days and I was getting really frustrated because I thought, I don't know what's the answer to this. I, I that's a really good question because um, it's like natural to me. So I haven't really broken it down and thought about it. But I guess now I had time to think it through and, and look over. You know, what are my books about? What do I blog about? And I see a theme that has been running through all along, and in and even in Bible study and, you know, the, the things that I choose to listen to, to feed, you know, my spiritual wealth, it's all about the fact that God's love never fails. And that's been sort of my little catchphrase. Um, so my novels basically deal with, you know, I write about people who are broken and hurting and flawed and have doubts and, have moments of being faithless and tempted and, um, you know, feeling alone or, you know, have come from dysfunction and whatnot, because those are things that I have experienced. And, uh, you know, the books tend to show you that, you know, regardless of the mistakes you've made or regardless of the situations that you're in, there is a God whose love never, ever wavers, ever falters. It is not measurable. It isn't going to walk out the door on you. It's not going to, you know, send you a postcard from another country, you know, like like some some people might. Or, you know, I, I've blogged a lot about, you know, having grown up fatherless and, and, and what that, what impact that's had on me and my outlook and my approach to God when I first um, became a Christian and um, so a lot of what I write, both blogging and novel, comes from just the um, the immense, um, I don't even know what to call it, just the, the realization that God is not going to stop loving me. And um, I know there are people who struggle, you know. So I guess that's going to always be an underlying theme, even if I don't say that, you know, verbatim. Yeah, you mentioned uh, just just a minute ago growing up fatherless. So I don't know if you wanted to talk any about that, how personal you would want to get. Um, I, as, like you said, I'm sure it's stuff that you've already talked about in various ways. But um, there's a lot I could say about it. So if you would narrow it down, just give me like what what would you like to know? Because <laughs> I've well, a lot of it. I, I guess for the sake of this, maybe just a little bit of the history and how how that maybe that has what your experience is and how that's uh, evolved over time and, and maybe mention a couple of places of where you, you talk about it in particular and how you think it could be helpful right. to other people. Those are a lot of different things. So we can break those down. Yeah. But. Thank you. Well, let's see. Um, so just a brief recap. Um, uh, my own father um, was no longer part of my life after I was about four years old. And, um, he also moved to another country, which kind of added, you know, insult to injury. So, um, you know, little girls growing up, fathers who aren't there, for me anyway, the reaction is, oh, I must not be worth loving. I must not be worth sticking around for. And that's kind of the the unspoken message that gets drilled into your heart. And, and you know, you're four, five, six. Nobody knows enough to tell you, oh, that's not true, what you're thinking. So my perception is just you know, built from there. And then, you know, through the course of my childhood and growing up, there were um, stepdads that, you know, came along and tried to fill in, but they were um, 
not what I needed. And, um, we moved on through life and, um, just being basically a pretty sensitive kid, um, and having, you know, these, this deep unmet need, uh, both together and, and, you know, people aren't perfect. I, I think growing up, I, I felt really wounded by both, you know, needs that were unmet and, um, and the treatment that I received, um, looking back as an adult, I realized, you know, these, these, these people that came into my life, they were just doing what they knew to do. They didn't know any better. And as an adult, looking back, I realized, you know, they were not, you know, trying to ruin my life, but you know, as a little kid, you don't know that. And so anyway, I grew up feeling, um, really, um, um, you know, unloved and yeah, I, I think, you know, that, I, have, I have a blog called nobody's little princess basically. And it's talking about how I, I, you know, you deep down inside, you know, a girl wants to be, you know, daddy's little girl, but after a, a while you realize that is not the reality and that's not going to happen. And I, and I grew pretty hardened from that. And so between all that and, and hurts and, you know, different, levels of abuse and neglect and different things like that basically just kind of drilled into me you know no one is going to love you no one's going to be there no one's going to take care of you you're on your own and I ended up pretty hard until um, my mom married for the last and final time when I was about 17 and this guy I thought no um, you you know you guys just go off and be happy I don't need a dad and he he continued to tell me he loved me and kept you know telling me he was there for me and that I was neat and I was special and I kept telling him no you know you're full of it I I don't need to hear this but he persisted and persisted and he was he's he's very stubborn I should tell you that he's part Scottish but um um my dad Robert uh, just would not relent and as a young brand new Christian that taught me an invaluable lesson um, that there is a father who will not relent in his love for you. And that was the first, um, I credit my, my dad, my stepdad, who's my dad um, to um, showing me a side of God that I probably would not have grasped and understood if not been for him. So. Yeah. That's pretty amazing actually. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yeah, like I, I think that the first big portion of that story, I think uh, a disturbing amount of people probably have to live with that. Um, I just read something this morning, and it sort of talked about uh, the father figure as always being uh, at sea or something to that effect. Like you know, mm-hmm. the 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 standard was you know Oedipus was off for ten years in the war and then ten years trying to make his way home. Oedipus, yeah, that's right. No, no. Not Oedipus, Odysseus. Gee, I get my wrong, my wrong uh, Greek in in story, but um, yeah. So, but that that is sort of the the standard uh, of the world, which I again I at first thought, well, that's kind of disturbing that that's such a uni like a universal a universal thing. So, um, the fact that you actually then had someone that could model a better example. I, I know that it probably mm-hmm. can't ever replace the, you know, what you would have imagined it would have been like if your biological father had been around your whole life and fixed mm-hmm. that, you know, that broken piece from, from age four until, until much later. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, so how do you, how do you see yourself being able to, to share that, that message and, and what, you know, what would you say? I guess I just filter what I gain from, you know, biblical truth through my own experience, you know, take it and, and break it down into bite-sized pieces and, and kind of chew on it and, and put it out there for whoever might be able to relate. Um, so do you think about the when you write something like that? Do you think about it, maybe start with a blog post because fiction is a little bit more deliberate i guess but when you write a blog post are you writing that more for you or are you writing that more because you know you want to get it out there to someone else or you know what percentage of of percentage might be the wrong way to put it but 
how much are you thinking about, uh, you know, writing, just writing the truth, writing something that's helpful for you in a sort of cathartic way, and how much is for, for sort of edifying, you know, the world and your readers? Um, I, I, I pretty much feel like I'm scattering it out there, you know, like bread on the waters to see if, you know, there's, there's one hungry person that can, can use it. It's, yeah, it's funny because it comes from introspection and um, self-focus, but you know, by the time I'm I'm communicating it, it's it's all about sharing it. All right, you had mentioned uh, that you were thinking about these kinds of things with, with what you listen to, not not necessarily the you know childhood experience, but with what you. Uh, how did you? How did I write it down? You know, feed your spiritual health, or you know, what you listen to and that kind of thing. I don't know if you can speak mm-hmm. about any any of that. Well, um, I'm very blessed to work for a church and a, a pastor who's just absolutely amazing. In fact, I mentioned him um, in the acknowledgments in my recent book. Uh, so I have the benefit of um, uh, preparing sermon materials and slides and things for Sunday services. So I get to hear the sermon twice a week, and um, that's really awesome and I feel very, very privileged to be able to do that. And then usually like to listen to a sermon every day as I'm, you know, getting ready for my day. Um, I I really like Alistair Begg, Truth For Life, um, that he speaks a lot into um, usually where I'm at and that's, he's kind of fun. So yeah, I just, and I listen to the, the, the Bible when I'm, you know, not doing something that takes, you know, concentration. So I just, because I've, I'll be really honest. I'm I'm not a really um, self-disciplined person when it comes to you know spiritual disciplines. I'm not a a devotional time person. I'm not a, a person with a really um, a regular prayer time. You know, I, I look and, and see people doing that and think, oh, I need to do that. I need to be better about that. But for years, I've been years and years, I've been kicking myself that I I don't look more like someone else in their spiritual discipline and you know, the Lord told me, you know, you do what you can do and, you know, you're going to grow and, and don't worry about what it looks like. So I, I'm happy to, you know, on the fly, listen to sermons while I'm, you know, running around doing errands or whatnot. So that's what that looks like. But, um, and I feel like I just need that daily, you know, whatever it takes. And that, that usually springboards, you know, a, a thought or a, one of those profound things that, you know, I don't take credit for her because it, it is God's truth and um, his truth and how it looks filtered through my, you know, measly little experience in life that, um, you know, that, that produces those truths. And, you know, I blurt those out on Facebook or tweet them out here and there. And, you know, hopefully somebody, someone else will say, oh, yes, yes, that's exactly what I would say, you know, that means to me. And, you know, or, oh, I've never thought about that before, or, you know, and, and dig in a little bit more into, you know, the meat of, you know, um, you know, this bottomless, you know, treasure that the Word of God is. Yeah, we recently as a family started um, going through, uh, it's a compilation of like books of common prayer type of thing. And we, we've set up morning and evening times with the family because mm-hmm. the same type of thing, like you said, need to be more deliberate and we realized that we were just doing the same you know the same kinds of things all the time and it's funny how just making it a point to do those things changes the way you see it and hear it and uh, interact interact with all of that um one of the things i have found with doing this though is it seems like certain things jump out like um, you know, you read the same prayers. That's one right. of the things about it is it's sort of liturgical. They're the same. Some of them are the same types of thing. It's it's very regular. Right. Um, but different things jump out all the time. And, you know, I know people always say, well, you can read the same scripture 10 times and get 10 different things out of it. But um, I, I don't think it's quite that random, right? I think that there's always stuff that that you're looking for. I feel like there are things that, you know, Camille is a particular kind of person. She, you know, writes about particular kinds of things. She uh, lives a particular kind of life in the same way I think that we all are. So is there anything that you always see or that you always want to share or are there always 
people i don't know maybe always is too strong a word when when i was looking through the uh the keywords for your book there were so many things like tolerance and acceptance and uh you know forgiveness and loyalty that that were coming up all the time and right you know is that something you do deliberately or is that just baked into into you and and what you do you know that is a really good question that i have not thought about before but now that you ask it um you know yeah i look back at the the four novels five, six, if you count the little novelettes, um, there is always a running thread in it. And it probably is a, um, an, an unconscious subconscious theme for me. And it always is, um, that there is forgiveness and, um, and grace. I mean, that's been huge, especially in my last two novels, the Johnny divine and, and wings like a dove, just that, um, we, don't uh, this is this is something i'm growing and growing in constantly in my own personal life is we don't fully understand the the reaches of grace um whether or not we are recipients of god's saving grace and even those who are we still don't and i say we because i assume this is true for everyone just don't understand how how much grace there is based on what we've been given to give out and how, um, how, how much that grace would probably solve so many of our problems um, with people and relationships and um, in the world around us and in the situations that we deal with. Yeah. Um, I had something similar as we were reading through one of those prayers that, that jumped out at me, you know, and it's, it's a thing that you think of all the time you see. And it said, uh, you know, he considered himself, you know, of no account and came to, you know, serve, you know, even the lowest of, of the low. And, uh, you know, it immediately hit me. I thought, well, if he served them and we serve him, who are we not to, to judge anyone to not absolutely fall on our face in front of, you know, even the most poor destitute person. And right. And sort of beg them for forgiveness in a way like, I'm sorry, I haven't modeled this better to you and I haven't done more. Right. And, and the cool thing, um, one, one of my blog posts that I always, it'll always be fresh in mind, which is, um, a miracle, uh, is, you know, grace like snow, because I felt like at one point when I was really praying about, you know, God, how do I do better about, um, just the way I treat people. And I felt like he was showing me that his grace, which it's a, it's a big word, multifaceted word, but the, the facet that I'm thinking about right now is the grace that blinds us to one another's faults. And that was kind of touched on in the Wings Like a Dove book. But um, that's just a, a huge lesson that I, I see as a picture. And that is, let's just call grace this giant blanket that drapes down over all of us, those who may be different or be, you know, in disagreement with one another, don't understand where each other's coming from. And I'm right. No, I'm right. And this blanket comes down, blinds us to each other and makes us basically look the same. And and it kind of blinds us to those things. We're all going to come to uh, a situation or or a topic or, or a problem with different perspectives. Like you said, you know, Camille is a particular person and, you know, David is a particular person. And we're all coming with um, this, this background and these perceptions and these filters that, went into making up who we are. And when um, we don't have the Lord's help, um, we sometimes, you know, are blind or unable to see, you know, where other people are coming from, because we just don't get it. We don't come from inside their viewpoint, you know, if that makes sense. We're all, let's say we're all on these mountaintops, all facing the same valley. We're all seeing the valley from different angles. And so one person speaking And, you know, the rest of us don't really quite understand what they're talking about because that's not the vantage point that we have. So if God's grace um, allows us to come to him without barrier, then we have that same grace available to us to, you know, deal with and relate to one another without barrier. And, you know, we need to deal with one another because we are going to spend eternity together, you know, as one family. So. Yeah. Here's me, here's me preaching today. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's that's great. 
uh, another um, uh, Whitefire Ashbury Lane author, uh, Susan, yesterday. I don't know if you saw her post about, um, you know, people praying for unity and yes. what does that look like? But if th- that's the kind of unity that you're it, that people are talking about, then I'm all in, right? right? If it's a kind of unity right. that says, uh, we're all in this together, we don't, you know, see anyone any differently because the because i mean that the image of you know grace covering us and blinding us to our differences is amazing but if what we mean on the other hand actually is i want everyone to agree with me and i want everyone to you know do what i say then we're totally missing the point and that's the one that scares me actually I, i i've i've joked about this um you know in our church groups when people pray for unity i go uh unified for what because yeah. when you unify people, you can do terrible, terrible things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, this goes back to your book a little bit, but I, not that I meant to go there. But if you look at the people in the town, like they were absolutely unified, but they were unified to do terrible things, to exclude people, to, you know, uh, you know, kill, maim and destroy uh, in a lot of ways. And, you know, yeah. It wasn't the people that wasn't, I don't think that was what they wanted to be. I think right. that was the other thing that you didn't really, you know, go out of your way to show, but I don't right. think those people and, and wanted to be like that. Now the unity based on fear, whereas we're talking about a unity based on love, you know, and I guess it's a matter of semantics, you know, unified sounds like, you know, you have a purpose and a goal and, you know, uh, a, a motive and something that you're trying to accomplish whether or not it's a good or a bad thing but you know unity if you think about the fact that um like in the book it's you know touched on a little bit that you know it, it, originally god created mankind and ultimately there is an eternity that's spent together as this you know family that he's created and so he had to have known what he was doing he had to have known that we were going to, you know, split off into different, you know, language groups and people groups, that kind of thing. And and yet, um, I guess when I say unity, I mean loving one another despite, you know, differences or the ability to, you know, be together despite, you know. And, and we, we all know what that feels like if, you know, if you have a family at all and you have, you know, in-laws or ex-laws or you know, outlaws, at some point we understand what it's like to have, you know, people in our family um, that aren't the easiest to get along with. And yet, you know, that doesn't exclude them from the family. It just means that we need to find a way to, to love them and to be lovable to them, you know? Yeah. And I'm not trying to be controversial but maybe i shouldn't worry about straying away or straying into that too much but i think one of the things that has really disturbed me lately uh, about the nature of the american church the protestant church you know the evangelical church is just how fractured we are um Mm -hmm. but only because it's such a contrast to the idea that we all do share a common faith a common grace Mm -hmm. a common all of these things with people across the world that look nothing like us and share almost no experience other than that and uh the fact that if we have a disagreement we immediately you know want to you know walk away from people and you know oh you know you you like to do things like this or you believe that you know it's not i I don't know i've been really disturbed by that lately and i've been trying to figure out like it i'm sorry no, I agree completely. It's yeah. disturbing and, and it makes me searching for what is the answer for this, you know? And then, of course, on top of that, even having to do with with things like, how do you find people who read a book by by Camille or, you know, any other, uh, any other one of our authors? My nature uh, is to, you know, try to drill down and find that person or that smaller group. And, mm-hmm. you know, is that a positive or a negative? Uh, you know, on top of it, you want it to be a, we're all people, we, we all have a universal need for certain things. Uh, so, so I, I guess maybe how do we address the fact that we're all different, but we all have the, some, some of the same innate desires and needs and, 
uh, you know, motivations and all of that. So I don't know if there's a question there. I, I was trying to yeah, form it as one, but... It's a good question, but it's a good question I have not the answer for. <laughs> oh, come on. That's why I, I try to I try to work with all you people that are smarter than me. Uh, it's, it's no, I again I have the a PhD in learning things the hard way. That's that's where all that comes from. Um, no, I, I feel like it's a need that's too big for us, and that's why we need the Lord, and that's why we need to be in prayer, and that's why we need to say, God, make me blind to the things I don't understand about other people, and open my eyes to the things that are good in other people so that I'm not, you know, going off in my little, you know, warped little humanness, you know, thinking I've got it all figured out or thinking I'm right or, you know, thinking, oh, you know, if they would just be more like me, we could get along, you know, but help me to see um, the things that you are doing that's that's beautiful in someone I don't understand and, and help me stop looking at those things I don't understand and don't agree with because that's not what matters, you know. And the other thing, this is maybe a, a massive subject switch, but no. So I had interacted with quite a few other people on, on some of these subjects to try to figure out. Um, so where do you come down to in who we ought to be, you know, aiming our books? I know that, again, I've said that this isn't necessarily about books, but you're an author and I'm a publisher and that's sort of the world we live in. So, you know, how much should we be uh, preaching to the choir? How much should we be aiming for a bigger audience. I mean, these are all things that the, you know, the themes in your book and all those things are, are things that the church and, uh, you know, Christianity in general, you know, we all need to hear because we all need to work. But do we think, do you think that the world needs to hear, hear that stuff too? Or, you know, yeah, there's like 18 questions there. I think, uh, if yeah. I were smart enough to break them down. So you're, you're asking if, uh, you know, the reader is, is a Christian or if we should be aiming them at more the, the general market, you know, the people that aren't the faith or maybe seeking. That's maybe the technical, like, you know, what should we mm -hmm. be doing from a, from a marketing perspective? But I'm more thinking like from a philosophical perspective, when you write the book, I can't imagine you're thinking, oh, well, this is going to be a really great story that, uh, evangelical women age, you know, 35 to 65 are really going to uh, get a kick out. Yeah, yeah, really not thinking that way at all when the story, you know, because I hope uh, authors, you know, like me, think of ourselves as artists and, you know, you're painting and you're not really thinking about, you know, who's going to be, you know, you know, wandering through the gallery looking at your painting. You know, you just hope that you, you put out there what you're feeling the story needs to do and say and the picture it needs to paint and you hope that you know the person that's going to stop and go oh, yes is going to you know happen by and see it so yeah I, I feel like most of my my fiction is aimed toward people who at least understand some of the terms and and experiences that I'm talking about but I I would hope that I know anyone could pick it up and still you know, recognize, um, especially the failures and flaws and disappointments and the things that are, you know, I hope are very human, very universal, you know, because we are all a mess, you know, terminally. <laughs> and um, we should be able to um, identify with each other that way. And so I would hope, I know this is, you know, broad to say, but I just hope anybody would be able to pick up one of my books and not go, Oh, this is a religious book. I, I don't want it. And I have had a few reviewers say, Oh, there was just too many prayers in the book. Otherwise I liked the romance or something. It's like, well, that's fine with me because you know, you at least you, you, you heard the story, you, you related to something and, um, you know, not to be, um, mercenary, but you know, there's hope that my hope is that subconsciously you might've picked up something that later will, you know, be in the back of your mind, like, Oh, but maybe there is a God who um, can be with me and, and help me through this terminal cancer I have, you know, and, and take one day at a time. And maybe I can reach out to him because, you know, in this story, you know, someone dealt with that or um, well, I, 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 there's preaching to the choir going on, too, because I, I understand that I have friends and, you know, um, co-parishioners and people that I know who struggle with different kinds of things that, you know. There is well, an answer. Got an answer. What I like, though, about 
some of the things that you've said, and I, I'm still, I, I'm going to have to go back and reread that the blog post, the Grace Like Snow. But what has gotten, what makes me think about it is that sort of vision is the kind of thing that everyone complains that Christianity doesn't do, right? Oh, you say that you're compassionate and you say that you, you know, grace is free and you say all these things, but you don't live it. Um, uh, but if you're modeling that in your blog post, you model that in your books. I think that it would, the kind of thing where people could pick it up and go, you know what, Uh, this may not have been aimed at me, but this is, this is the kind of faith that I would want to have. And, uh, and then on the other side, the people who are in your church, the person sitting, you know, a couple pews behind you read it and maybe would go, wow, I've never quite seen or thought of it that way because either, uh, I've done this my whole life because of my family or, you know, all the various stories that right. come in. Uh, right. So I, I think that that hits in a way that, you know, an awful lot of other like Christian space storytelling doesn't. And I think that's why I'm drawn to, to the way you write and, and the way you've done things is because it's not just the run of the mill. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and preach to the choir and, you know, don't take anything yeah. away from from that because that's what Rosanna says. The choir needs preaching too. Too, uh, you know, my yeah. wife. For anyone who doesn't exactly. know, um, right? His, yeah, I was so. in the choir. I know, <laughs> right? But you know, on the other hand, we do need to hear all of those lessons. But again, what I love about your stuff is, if you're not in the choir, you might go, "Wow, that that part was preaching to the choir." But this other stuff, that's that's what I'm looking for. Um, mm-hmm. You know, another author, April McGowan. Um, had said that it's sort of, it's disappointing that people will go and read secular books on on all of these type of topics because obviously they're right. looking for, they're looking right. for it sort of philosophically, but you have it much more pure than that. And when I say you, I mean you know a person who writes in the way you do. Not, I'm not trying to put you up on a, a pedestal, but that we're trying to pull down some of that as I authors like and publishers. The pedestal, though. I like I like the pedestal. Okay, I'll put you up there. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I'm, I was looking for I'm going to look for a, a tweet that I saw from Alan Arnold yesterday. I don't know if you are on Twitter much. No, I'm not. Um, and the reason the reason I'm looking for it is because um, I think when I first started learning to write and I went to um, you know the organizations that Christians go to you know, to, to learn to write and they're wonderful and they're, um, full of so many, um, you know, just so much good teaching, but I, and maybe many others picked up things as we were being taught that, that made it feel like, oh, there's only one way to write, you know, a Christian romance or love story, that kind of thing, or there's only one way to write Christian fiction. That's probably not their intention, but that was, you know, some of, the way I read it, um, and I'll just take the blame for it. I, I, I felt like, oh, well, you know, I, I don't want to write the same thing everyone else is writing. I don't, I don't want to write romance per se, because they say that's, um, that has to be this way. You know, it's a formula. You, you right. have to have the hero and heroine have to meet on this page and then this has to happen. And I felt like, well, I could do that if I have to, but that doesn't feel right to me to, to, you know, squeeze that into a formula just because for the place from where I'm writing is so, you know, from the guts, you know, and it's really hard to, to tame that down and tell it now you have to, you know, it has to look like this when you, when you come out, I had the hardest time, you know, telling like agents and editors, you know, if this meets this criteria in this category, because it, it really didn't, but that's only because I, I don't want to, um, I don't know, squeeze the muse into a, a, a peg or a hole that it doesn't fit. But this this quote that I was looking for from Ellen Arnold, the story of with, he said, when we realize we don't need permission to create outside the lines, <clears throat> our canvas grows exponentially larger. Formula limits creativity because it can only tell you how to do what's been done. It's great for recreating more of the same, but not for original new creations. And I just thanked him and said that, you know, that only that only reaffirms, um, you know, what I feel like I'm trying to do, but, you know, encourages and, um, challenges me too to, um, 
reach outside and color outside the lines a little bit, if that's a good thing. Yeah. And I think we've always said, like, as, as artists, like, you have to know where the lines are to be able to color outside them properly. So there's right. no harm in learning the rules, but that teaches right. you how you can break them, where you should break them. There are some really genius people that can come in with no experience and and crush that whole unique, creative, you know, writing outside the box without breaking the reader. Because so often that's what happens, right? When you work outside the box, uh, it, it, it messes with the reader's perception of what you're doing, or, you know, it pulls them out of the story or all of those things. What What's expected in this realm that we're in, you know, this, this space of, you know, there's, there's, there has come to be an expectation, you know, of what, for example, what a love story looks like. And I guess um, I'll just always be that, that quirky one that wants to mess with that a little bit. So there you go. So does that come from your own experience too? Oh yeah. I'm, I'd say I'm definitely a, a, a quirky one. So it doesn't work for me to try to, you know, look like everyone else. But it's just, it's so interesting that that dichotomy of we don't want to look like everyone else, but the truth is that's sort of how God sees all of us. He sees our our uniquenesses, but he also sees us as the same. Well, the same part is cool because the same part, I think, is Christ, you know, the blood of Christ. That, uh, right. It's, it's, again, that blanket that, that uh, makes us a level playing field. A last sort of question maybe that circles back to where we started, but like, what would you say about yourself just as a, as a person, I guess, not even just as an author, but what's, what's the first thing that you think, um, what's, what's the first thing that you would want people to know? Cause in the end, what we do is really important. I've, I've spent a lot of years trying to figure out, you know, who am I and who am I supposed to be? And I've, I've made a lot of mistakes along, along the way thinking I had the answer and having it wrong. And I've, I've tried to please people that I didn't need to worry about pleasing. I've, I've wanted approval that I've never gotten because it's, um, it's not really what I needed. Um, I guess in a nutshell, I'm someone who has, you know, made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of doubts and, and felt a lot of brokenness, but has, um, found, a God who fixes all that and loves me despite all that. And who, even though I am imperfect, he's perfect and has shown himself so faithful um, because of, and in spite of all those um, mistakes and imperfections. But um, that's probably not the answer you're looking for. If you ask other people, they'll say, Oh, she's, um, she's creative and she's obsessive compulsive and she loves to bake. And um, she, it's kind of awkward, but she, you know, makes up for it by giving people fresh cinnamon rolls. And I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is because <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm super hard on myself. So it just depends on what day you ask. It's funny the things that jump out at you, you think super awkward. Well, I mean, maybe <laughs> that's sort of the, the subtext, right? But we're all sort of yeah. super awkward. I think even the most, maybe I'm wrong about this because I'm not one of those super confident people that walk into a room and think everything's about me, but you walk in and yeah. you think, oh dear, what's, you know, what's that person thinking? They may not care, you know, a whit about what you put on this morning. You know, when you're awkward, when but you're always second guessing or being self, self-conscious, like, yeah, so that feeds into so much of, of the other stuff that you said, right? Because... If you're self-conscious, then you're really obsessive compulsive about making sure that you do things right and right. you do care about other people. So I just, I don't there, see there, that. There's, yeah. there's pluses and minuses to it because, you know, being self-focused, you know, is selfish, but also it helps me see things that um, other people that aren't introspective may not ever even stop and think about themselves. And I was like, oh, that's an area that you realize you needed to grow in. Oh, I never even thought about that. So there's there's pluses and minuses too. Um being so self self absorbed, um, yeah. you know, if it can benefit. Um, yeah, so but I would it, say I, I'm going to have a great answer to this about three days from now. Write it down. So, uh, yes, but I I would say I'm just a person who's just growing. I'm 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 just a kid that's still growing up, and uh, you know, don't don't look at the age because that's just a number. I feel like a kid who's still 
got a lot to learn. I've, uh, the Lord has brought me a long ways and I have to stop and look back at that sometimes because the OCD in me says, oh, but look where I need to be. And he says, yeah, but look at where, where you were. And That's where, another um, sort of mm-hmm. contrast with the way God looks at us, right? Is he is always mm-hmm. pulling us forward and pulling us forward, mm-hmm. but he is always reminding us of, but look at, look at who you've become. Yeah. Right. He, and he's pulling you forward, but stone. telling you to look back. I'm sorry. Right. And the, the Israelites at the Jordan River, I think they were told to stop and, and pull those big stones out and build a memorial and. That was so that when they passed by, they would remember all that they had done and all the ways God had delivered them. And that's really important for us to do. And it's really important for me to do because I'm so you know, obsessive. I can only focus on where I am not yet and where I am, um, you know, where I've not reached or where I've not succeeded yet in my goal. And he says, remember so that you don't forget, you know, what I've already done because there's so much. We probably don't spend quite enough time looking back and seeing seeing the miracles that have happened in in all our lives. So is there anything else that you would like anyone listening to this might hear and and have a a final takeaway? The last thing you would want to leave someone with? I write fiction and I, and I write, you know, blogs, hopefully that's, you know, bread on the waters that will be of some nourishment to you too. But, um, you know, the, the fiction is a journey of, you know, imperfect people. And I would just love for anyone who, wants to pick up a book and, you know, escape for a little while into the the world of fiction to just take that journey for a few hundred pages and, and meet some characters whose hearts beat, you know, in the same time that yours and mine do. And, you know, you can relate to their struggles and the joys and they, you know, these are things that ring true in all of our lives and uh, just uh, come along the journey and, Hopefully you'll see that there is a love that never fails and uh, the best is yet to come. How much do you think that fiction has the ability to actually model? You're right. It can be a fun story to come and spend, you know, a few hours with. But I mean, there's there's real deep intentionality there. And, you know, does it succeed? There's intentionality and then there's the the subconscious in the in the author that we don't even realize we're putting in there. But there's uh, there's. There's so much, um, like I said, you know, uh, a heartbeat that we recognize, you know, like a, a you know, baby in the womb recognizes the, the heartbeat of, of the mother, you know, out and in and out of the womb. And it's like we could we recognize that heartbeat that uh, an author puts into the characters, intentional and unintentional. And it's, um, you know, so you pick up a book to escape, but these characters came from the heart and the guts and the pain and the glories and the, you know, fears and the, the successes and the victories and all the things that, a, that an author has either felt or experienced or seen, witnessed, um, you know, contemplated. These are all real. I feel like I have to persuade people that, you know, yes, this is a fictional character, but so many pieces of it are, are so real that, um, you know, you're going to feel like you're coming along someone else's life and, and, you know, experiencing something with them. And if that touches you in any way, then, you know, the author feels like we've, we've done our job. I, I have this argument way too often these days. Everyone wants to tell true stories because they think that there's power in this idea that this actually happened. Well, like you said, mm-hmm. you said it so well, like this has actually happened, but I get to tell yeah. the best version of it. I get to tell right. the truest version of it in fiction. And I think that right. that falls, sometimes that falls on deaf ears. I don't know. I mean, if you could take um, all the genres and I and I sadly, I don't read, you know, hundreds of different genres, but I'm just going to imagine, you know, something I don't ever read would be like, you know, fantasy sci fi or, you know, space opera or something. There's just there's just so many unique different types of, of genres out there. But I bet if you could, you know, take a book from every category and every genre and, and look at them and what is the universal thread there that you know, there's something that we can relate to. And it's, it's funny because I don't think we can get away from every story being a true story. You know, it might be a little facet that doesn't you know jump out at you, but um, you know, how can it not be true? You know? Yeah. That's so funny that you mentioned stuff that you never read and you started with fantasy and sci-fi, because one of the things that I, I have always liked about that genre is to be able to take something so obviously untrue 
and oh, and drop I, and drop truth in the middle of it. Right, exactly. There's got to be something that we relate to, or we would have no interest in it. Right, and and it, it can teach us lessons. And I hate to put it like, "Oh, you're you're learning lessons," but it, it can be like a parable in so many ways. You know, if you have a yeah. a sci-fi thing where you have alien characters, but you recognize that, uh, you know, there's something similar about you and them, right? So, it you it's not a direct thing like you're you're not saying oh well you know it's unchristian to believe in aliens because of this and that you know that, no that's not the point the point is you're recognizing the sameness there and you should be able to translate that into your everyday life if there's a person you don't understand right. you have this right. opportunity as a test in a totally safe way in an environment where nothing's at stake besides your right. thinking and your understanding so fiction is the laboratory maybe where we practice the the textbook that we've been, you know, studying, which is life. Thank you very much for, for coming on. My pleasure. And thank you. Thank you for joining us today for our interview with Camille Eide. For more information about Camille, please check out the show notes for links to her website, blog, as well as to her books. And if you check out our website, whitefire.tv slash unexpressed, you'll find discussion questions from Camille's latest book, Wings Like a Dove. The first one is, do you think it's a good idea to bring divided people together? Do you think it's even possible? We'd love to hear your thoughts on this question or any of the nine others, and you don't have to have read the book to have an opinion. This podcast is sponsored by Read at Whitefire. There you can read the first two chapters of any Whitefire Publishing Group company's books. And if you like what you read, they're available for purchase in print format, as well as electronic formats for all the most popular e-readers. Some books even have signed copies available. And if you're a listener of this podcast, there's a chance you're a good candidate for Platy People, our membership program for unique readers. For just $5 a month or $50 a year, Platy People members get to choose two free books per month, a free novella, 15% off all purchases, including gift certificates, and free shipping to U.S. addresses. Why choose ordinary when you can read extraordinary? Unexpressed is part of the Whitefire Podcast Network. Please visit whitefire.tv podcast to find other shows we know you're going to love.